0: Well, folks, we have arrived. The story within the story. The one I don't want to tell. The one that wrecked me. We all have these things that have broken us in one way or another. And for most of us, we hold it in like rocks in our hearts. And I knew that when I started this podcast, I would eventually land myself in 2019. The year where the carefree me died. But hey, 38 years is a pretty good run. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. All right, folks, listen. I've sat here and I've recorded this episode several times. And every time I start to speak, I get tangled up and tied up in this, like, quest for accuracy and um, transparency and, and uh, you know, the deeper underlying stuff behind it. And, it, it, gosh, it's just... For those of you that have been through um, what is known as a church split, you know that it's just hard to talk about. It's hard to... Um, communicate. It's hard to put into words what happened. You know, there's um, <sighs> there's just so many different tangents you can follow, and and if you were involved in it and invested in it, it's almost hard to have like a coherent conversation about it because you get off onto tangents and you say, well, this this oh man, that leads to this and that and that, and it's just. Um, it's just like a swirling, you know. Like, I will tell you what it reminds me of. I read this book years ago, um, called The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Unbelievable book, most terrifying book I've ever read in my life. I've never read a book that, um, like literally scared me as much as The Road. It's just uh, if if you're looking for like a post apocalyptic like thriller, that's wonderfully written. Read The Road um uh, but there's uh there's a part in the road where he describes like this um this ball of snakes that was just like a twisting um, silent just twisting mess of snakes and that's what it felt like um in the church in my church in the beginning of twenty nineteen and truthfully the entire year of twenty nineteen it felt like just a twisting mess of like just dark snakes Uh, not that the people were snakes but it was just um, mesmerizing and it was just confusing and you sort of can't tell where one snake ends and one begins it's just a mess and you know so the, the question that you're wondering is what was happening what was it all about and there was a lot and and I'm like I said you can't describe it in in a lot of ways, and I'm not going to tell other people's stories. But to give you a general idea, there was just like deep, deep internal stuff that you've just decided is the truth that you're not going to budge on, on all sides of, of the spectrum. And it had to do with the interpretation of scriptures, and it had to do with you know, sort of the modern day, you know, how are things today in this world versus 2000 years ago? And, and what do we do with this and that? And what about this verse? And what about this thing? And, 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 you know, to me, uh, it, it felt a whole lot more like an, an effort to exclude certain people from doing certain things. And that's where I have a problem. Anytime you're going to try to um, exclude someone in the Christian faith um, from something, you need to kind of pump the brakes, okay? Unless there is someone in imminent danger, okay? Like, obviously, we don't need, um, you know, people with, like, a serious, like, criminal history, like, serving in the kids' rooms, right? I mean, there's some sort of, like, mainline kind of stuff like that. But outside of, like, physical danger violence that kind of thing everybody should be welcome and uh and included and loved um especially if we're just talking about like lifestyle or profession or whatever like the church is a place um where sinners are welcome and and that's what it is okay and uh there was so that's what it felt like to me it was like some people were trying to figure out a way to exclude certain people from doing certain things and i just didn't like that a lot of people didn't like that and then those people have these biblical scriptural references that are hard to argue with for why certain people shouldn't be allowed to do certain things and you know in my mind i'm like you know what i don't really care (laughs) um you know if there's one thing that i've learned about reading the scriptures and a lifetime of contemplating God and Jesus, and what does all this mean it 's that God slash Jesus is always on the side of the underdog always 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 if you if you think about it, if you look back in the in the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you think about all the stories, what you 'll notice pretty quickly is if you 're looking through this lens is that God is always on the side of the underdog. And that was it. That was as simple as it is for me. And I, I truly think that's as simple as it is like in the world. That's pretty much my whole worldview is that God is on the side of the underdog and therefore so will I be. Um, because I'm an underdog. Yes, I'm a white guy, white privilege, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm under. I'm an underdog in the sense that um, I'm a sinner that needs God. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, I'm a broken person that's screwed up. And I need a savior, and that's what makes me an underdog and it's also what makes me eligible to be saved. you know is kind of the admission of that the recognition of that um and that's what we all need, and that to me is what church ought to be about, okay and so there was just all this swirling sort of madness and 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 mess going along with that, and there was conversations and it was just a mess and I I, I want to skip through a whole lot of the specifics of what was going on in our church at this time, um, because I can just go down rabbit holes really, really quickly. And again, I'm not here to tell other people's stories. I'm here to tell you my story, okay? But the, the tone of the church was just troubling at this time. Uh, there was like, pastors were resigning over these types of things, and elders were resigning over these types of things, and... Um, it was just, there was like a, a tone of like um, turmoil and like aggression and people were doing stupid things and saying stupid things, myself included, all right? I am guilty. Um, I said dumb things. I, I I wrote emails that were misguided and and uh, sort of pointlessly, well, not pointlessly, I had a point to it, but they were just like way over aggressive and like, look, I'm guilty of that stuff, okay? and And there was these sort of meetings happening at church, like sort of whole, they called it the family meeting, and it was just a mess. And elders were resigning, and people were making accusations against each other, and and uh, you know, like recording conversations so that you could sort of have proof of something to show. It was just so insane, and I just nobody, nobody liked it. Nobody, even the com- people that like a good fight, I don't think liked it. And uh, and so. It, that's what was going on and and me and my friends and my crew of people that were that were tight you know my close people we started to see pretty quickly that um this church was going to change into something that um we may not be interested in being a part of anymore and so a group starts to form to just kind of sit and talk and 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 figure out what we could do. And, and a a good friend of ours just said like, Hey, we're going to just like have some people over to our house, um, to just kind of discuss, you know, what we see happening at the church and like what if anything we can do about it. And so the group gets together and like, there was a few like elders at the group and there was, there was just like a a sort of a core group of couples, maybe, maybe eight, maybe 10 couples that come together and, and talk and, and it was just like, what do we do, you guys? Like, how do we um how can we like help patch this thing up? Because it was just clear that like the people that were kind of in charge of the of the church at the time were going in a direction that was what I would say new um and and different from where we had been. Uh and, and it just felt not great. It felt like it was going in the wrong direction. And you know, if you've ever been through anything like this, you know how just messy it is. And, uh, we're just like talking about what we do. We're we're praying. We're trying to figure out like, how do we save this thing? How do we write this ship? Is there something we can do or say that would be meaningful? Because the people that were running the church, um, like we, we know them. We, we, we know them. They're, they're good people. They're great people. They're close friends. You know, these are people that, um, these are, these are men that I've, you know, prayed with and had like these weekend retreats with and become really close with. And, and we're just trying to figure out like, what can we do to kind of help steer the ship? And there's people like crying in this meeting. And and we had several of these kind of, uh, you know, what I would say is kind of like, to be honest, it felt a little bit like um, our little group of people was like, um, the, the rebel alliance in Star Wars, not to paint the other group as, um, the empire, but it sort of felt like that, um, in some ways, you know, it felt like we were this kind of ragtag, you know, band of nobodies, um, trying to do something good and sort of defend the underdogs, um, against a group of people that were just like bound and determined to, um, to go the way that they felt like they needed to go, um, which we didn't see as being the right direction, you know? And so, um, during these sort of talks and meetings, and this is like, we'll say it's like March of, uh, 2019, something like that. And it was just a mess. We knew it wasn't going to go well. And, i realized you know i play a lot of chess and uh, there's a term in chess that is is a really great term that um just defines life a lot of times and the term is zugzwang. Zugzwang means that it's your turn to move you have to make a move and all of the moves that are available to you are bad (laughs) and uh and 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 we were in zugzwang in this group in this situation in this church it was, we felt like we needed to make a move and all of the moves that were available to us were bad. Um, and that's just what it felt like. And so we started to ask this question of how do we lose well? We're, we're gonna lose this battle. We're gonna lose this battle. And you know what? I was uh, I was okay with that because, you know, <laughs> there's this quote by one of my favorite Christian authors of all time. Um, he wrote this book, Kingdom Grace Judgment by Robert Farrar Capon. And there's a quote in there that says, In spite of all of our fakery, Jesus's program remains firm. He saves losers and only losers. He raises the dead and only the dead. And so to be on a losing team felt right to me. You know, it felt okay. But I was still feeling drawn to uh, fight for something. It was just a mess. Uh, But the question that was going around was, how do we lose well? That's kind of how we were feeling. So during all this time my anxiety was just like through the freaking roof you guys (laughs) it was um it 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 was the worst position I've ever been in personally because I felt responsible for a, a group of people I was running the men's ministry even though it was like unofficially there was you know a couple hundred guys looking to me for leadership i just felt like i didn't know what to do you know again i was in zugzwang i had no good options available to me and my 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 heart is just racing and and here i'm i'm sort of being faced with the idea of just like uh losing this church, this community of people that I had come to love and we had moved from Little Rock to North Little Rock specifically to be a part of this church family. And I had me and Micaiah both and our kids had put so much time and and, and energy and sort of love into helping to build a beautiful thing there. And we did, you know, we, we have sort of blood, sweat and tears wrapped up in this and, and time and energy and, and the community was so tight. And it was just fracturing, and and I couldn't hold it together. I just wanted to hold it together. And um, so around this time, um, I'm I'm just like short of breath all the time. And, you know, I I just couldn't um, figure out how to be myself anymore. And uh, anyway, on Easter weekend of this year, we... um, of 2019, we, me and some friends, sort of my tight group of people, um, book a camping trip um, down to uh, Morro Bay State Park, down South Arkansas on the Washita River. And on the way to that camping trip, I had been dealing with this swallowing issue for um, a couple of years, kind of in a, in a mild way, and... I think that because of the church drama and the anxiety and just all the mess that was tied up in it, um, it had really, um, become exacerbated and, and just was, it had gotten a lot worse. And the the issue is basically generally when I like start a meal or eat something quickly and I'm too hungry and I swallow too quickly and the food gets stuck in my throat and it's not like I can't breathe, but it's just stuck right there in my esophagus and it's really painful and, I try to drink water to wash it down, and the water just like stacks up on top of whatever food is stuck in there, and then I'm like, oh, it's just a mess." And so on the way down to this camping trip i uh I was I ate something and it got stuck in my throat, which happens often, especially when I'm like, like I said, eating too fast or too hungry or I'm not relaxed, and at this point in my life, I was not relaxed. I was never relaxed, I couldn't freaking relax, I was just tight, and so the foods get stuck in my throat, and I pull over, and, and Micaiah knows that this is sort of an issue for me, and I pull over, and I, a lot of times I can fix it if I get out of the car, or stop what I'm doing, and just like take a deep breath, and kind of walk, and just kind of relax, and focus on relaxing all my muscles and everything, and and uh, and it'll kind of, you know, go down, or sometimes I can kind of choke it up, you know, basically throw up. And, uh, but I couldn't get this down. And, and, uh, sooner or later, like we had been there a long time, maybe 20, 30 minutes just on the side of the road. And, uh, the Whitley's pull up beside, behind us. They were, you know, a little while behind us on the road, but they pull up behind us. They saw us stopped and they're stopping check. And, you know, I'm just trying to like calm down. And anyway, um, Andrew gets out of the car and he's kind of like talking me through it a little bit. And, and, um, you know, what had begun to happen with these things, was like, it would turn into a panic attack. Um, and it never up until this point materialized into anything that sort of mattered. It would always kind of, I'd get over it, but, um, but this time, um, was worse. And, uh, and we were there on the side of the road so long with our wives and kids that eventually, um, micaiah uh or emily andrew's wife emily and their two kids jump in the car with micaiah and and the moms drive the kids with my camper drive my truck with my camper to the campground and andrew stays back with me with his car and his camper and it's just the two of us and so that that relieved the pressure a little bit didn't have people waiting on me and he was like man we can hang out all day no big deal so we kind of take a long walk and I remember we ended up walking like a mile down the road and I couldn't freaking swallow. And it was just like the panic was building and all this other shit. And I just felt like I just couldn't do it anymore. And and I just wanted to collapse, man. I just freaking wanted to collapse. And um, and it starts to get worse and the panic starts to increase. And my heart rate is is pounding, just boom, 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 boom just screaming at me and I, and i at this point in my life i had gotten an apple watch entirely so that i could monitor my heart rate um because i i just had these little minor panic attacks all the time and so my heart is pounding and i'm freaking out and and i'm like crying and like it, it was just like everything was just like breaking me man um that's just what it was and eventually I say to Andrew, I was like, dude, we got to just go to the hospital, man. I think I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm dying. I'm panicking. I'm losing it. We, we got to go. And so um, we get in the car and he's trying to remain calm. And um, we start driving and I'm sitting in the passenger seat and I'm losing it. Um, I'm, I'm like spazzing out almost. Uh, I'm trying to keep it under control but uh i'm i'm failing you know and, and and at some point like something happens in me and i had like almost a blackout and the pressure in my heart in my chest in my brain was so strong that i was certain that i was going to um you know trigger a heart attack you know stress induced you know event and uh and so i'm like dude, go, 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 go. And I'm starting to cry and I'm starting to, you know, panic and pant. And, and I'm now I'm sweating. And, and I remember at one point, like, uh, I felt like my muscles were just so tight um, and they just wouldn't relax. And I was just like, oh my God. And I was losing it. I was totally losing it. And I literally had this thought in my mind that like, oh my God, like, what if my purpose in life is, <laughs> this is like, the extreme nature of the way that i think but i said what if my purpose in life is to die on this road and that we would have our funeral my funeral at fellowship north and my death would be the thing that brings us all back together and i I was like oh my god like that's the story um and i just started to like actually like mourn for my own death it's just Oh my God! It was just such a freaking mess, and I uh, and I told Andrew I, I I held his hand. I was like, "Dude, you got to pray for me right now." And so Andrew just starts like, just talking this like sort of beautiful, pow- powerful prayer. And and when the prayer ended, um, I had taken off my shirt at this point. I was shirtless in the car. I had my shirt in my hands, and I was blowing my nose into it and wiping my tears with it. And uh, after the prayer, I just kind of like literally just like hurled up all the shit that was stuck in my throat and it just like came completely out of me like it reminded me a lot of if you've watched the uh, stranger things show at the end of the first season when the kid like spits out the slug that was like poisoning him that's what it felt like to me and that brought a lot of relief and um you know i, I don't know what it was about the prayer or the whole panic of the moment or whatever but like that brought some relief. And, uh, anyway, we get to the hospital and, um, you know, the, the, doctor basically says like, look, it seems like you had a panic attack. You know, we, we checked your vitals and everything. And, you know, it, um, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with you. And he gave me this pamphlet about like how to calm down when you're having a panic attack. And I was just like, oh my God, screw you. <laughs> um, but for but, but it felt good to be in the hospital, you know, and, and, uh, just feel like somebody was taking care of me to be honest um i felt like i needed some some care i felt like my cup was empty and i it was just flat empty and anyway um we get out of the hospital and of course like andrew had been communicating with makaya and letting her know that like everything's okay but like holy shit it was dicey for a second there and we get finally to the campsite and we show up and everybody's like You know sort of cheering that I'm alive and kind of being funny about it in a way but but really like it was not a sure thing for a minute there you know at all and uh we just get there and I remember for the rest of that weekend like I didn't want to be more than six inches away from Andrew (laughs) I just felt like he was um my my uh my guardian angel you know for for that weekend um and you know when you think about what happened in the previous uh episode the previous year in 2018 when we were camping in the flat tire and the car fell on Andrew and I was there for that even though I didn't really I mean I did basically help solve that situation for him um we we kind of had this bond from that point on you know just kind of like saving each other's lives a little bit you know which is freaking awesome and uh Anyway, that, that was just kind of the mood and the feeling and, and the um, that was just where I was in my heart and in my life. And that was panic attack number one. And uh, it wasn't going to be the last one for this year. So that was just kind of the mood and the flavor and the feelings that were going on in me in the spring of 2019. And I've got two little kind of interlude stories Before we kind of continue on with the rest of the year, okay. Um, In the early summer of that year, uh, I got invited to go on a backpacking trip to Colorado with um, Craig, who is kind of like the, uh, the, the, he's always the backpacking trip leader um, to Colorado. He does these trips every year with like the graduating seniors, the seniors that had just graduated from high school. And so there was this this great group of young people going and the leaders that were going were really cool and my wife was going and so they invited me and I was like I would freaking love nothing more than to go to Colorado and just get out of here for a while. And so we go to Colorado and and we just had a freaking amazing 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 time. It was just so good to just be sort of rested and and peaceful and and just be out in in the nature and the calm and the beauty and the just the You know when your life is a freaking wreck it's good to go out to nature and recognize that like these streams flow and these trees stand with or without you and your problems and your troubles and your struggles in your life and it was just a good reminder that um the good is still out there and peace is still like accessible and available to you if you can find it And, uh, so we just had this amazing trip and it was just so cool for me to be, you know, backpacking with my wife again. You know, we had done some trips like this before, but nothing exactly like this. And, and, uh, we, we climbed, uh, Mount Antero, uh, there in Colorado. And for some reason, when I go backpacking, when I go mountain climbing, like, I just feel like super strong in the mountains, um, Uh, it's just climbing mountains has just been one of those things that even though I haven't done it a ton not anywhere near the amount that I want to every time I'm out there I just feel so capable and 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 strong and prepared and equipped and I and I know what to do even though I don't know what to do like the the right path and the right decision just kind of makes itself evident to me and it just feels I just felt so confident you know in that and and it was just good to kind of find that again and so we just had an amazing amazing trip and, and it was just, it was just so, so needed um, for me and, and I think everybody, honestly, on that trip. It was just really, really good. And the other good thing that happened that summer was I got a job shooting for a week in Mississippi, all over the state of Mississippi. I drew this map and it was all the way down to the Gulf Coast and all the way up to the northern part of the state and all points in between. and. My buddy Mikey went with me. He's my kind of main sidekick, photo assistant um, on on these kind of jobs. And uh, you know, just as an assistant, um, when I when I need a second shooter, it's Andy. When I need an assistant, it's Mikey, and that's kind of the way it's been for a long time. And so, me and Mikey just kind of scheduled this whole trip, and I had to go shoot all these at all these different factories and stuff. And it was just so fun. It was just such a good like another good break from um, the norm which was a mess to just go and clown around with him for a week in Mississippi. And we went to these casinos and we went to New Orleans and, you know, just running around and being silly and having fun and and stuff. And it was just, it was just so, so good, man, um, to just go out there and and just goof around and have a good time and and do that kind of thing. But I had to end up back in North Little Rock. (laughs) And uh, so I'm, I'm back home in North Little Rock. And again, like, same church mess is going on and in august um we we had what would end up being our last big event at fellowship north and that was the um the barbecue like the fall barbecue kickoff is what we called it even though august isn't fall it's kind of the beginning of the school semester the fall school semester and so every year for a couple of years we had been doing these fall barbecue kickoffs we'd have a crawfish bowl in the spring and in the fall, we'd do a barbecue thing. And so, um, we went out to a, a guy's has this big piece of property with, um, uh, just lots of space. And so we had, uh, I think there was like almost a hundred guys showed up for this thing. We got tons of barbecue and all these guys show up and we play bago and we play music and, you know, there's just a lot of standing around and clowning around and sort of, you know, horsing around. And like, for me, it was such a beautiful thing because, all the men that I was expecting to show up showed up, and uh, and it was like even the people that were kind of battling with each other within the church showed up, and everybody was just cool, man. Everybody just was totally cool. There was no um turmoil, there was no animosity, at least not like super obvious animosity. And and it was like now, these are all guys that have been through men of the Ozarks essentially, and so like we had this bond together that we shared of going through this just powerful men's weekend together. And, and, you know, we all sort of spoke the same language of that. And it was just, you know, we're, we're standing around at this fall barbecue, and I'm thinking, I'm kind of looking around with my buddies that kind of helped me plan it, Barry and a couple other guys. And we were like, hey, maybe maybe we can pull this off. like maybe Maybe the men will be the thing that kind of brings this church back together by remembering that, like, you know uh in the words of Maya Angelou, we are more alike than we are unalike, you know, and maybe we can bring this together and maybe we can get together and through the unity and the spirit of um you know just uh having fun together and you know brotherly love that we would be able to pull this thing back together somehow and the the guys that showed up at this thing were the were the elders and we're the pastors and we're the you know um it was everybody on every side of every issue that was going on at the church and I mean, maybe not everybody but you know most everybody and, and it was also really cool to have the group there and just realize like most of the people here just want to get along and hell everybody just wants to get along most of the people didn't even have a dog in the fight it was just uh, we all quit fighting so we can we can get along again you know and it was like really encouraging, you know, we had this beautiful moment and and I was just doing anything I could do to try to get people back together and get us back onto the thing that brought us together in the first place, which is just love and community and, and brotherhood and fellowship and and all this stuff. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, I had been writing a lot. I, I used to write a lot. Um, and, you know, to be honest, like since 2019, I haven't written very much. Um, and, and really this podcast has kind of become, uh, my outlet for, for sort of creative writing. Um, but back then, um, I would write a lot and, and, and I would send out emails to all the men in the, in the church and of just like my thoughts and stuff. And it was always like a really good thing for me. And most of the time when I started writing, I, um, I didn't really have a direction or a place I wanted to go or uh, maybe I'd have a idea in my head of what I was trying to write about but most of the time when I started typing um, I felt like God would kind of take over and just say what he wanted to say and so that was the reason why I wrote a lot um, was to uh, just just to see what maybe God would say through me um, in, in, in sort of this sort of free form sort of stream of consciousness style of writing that I would do. And I wrote this thing and I sent it around and, and it kind of, it was passed around among the men and, uh, and some of the guys like shared it with their wives. And, and, and anyway, at, at one day I got a call from a, a good, good friend of mine at church, um, a, a lady named Sarah Beth. And she said, man, I love this thing that you've written. Can I have your permission to, um, to, to speak it at church? because she was in charge of like the sort of um the creative aspects of Sunday mornings and well a lot of the creative stuff at church and she would do these kind of spoken word pieces you know a lot of times like during the music or like before or after the sermon or whatever and just do these like beautiful heartfelt um you know spoken word pieces whether it was stuff that she wrote or found in a book or whatever and and I just always loved the way that she delivered with such heart and uh, and so she says, like, can I um can I speak this piece of yours? And I was like, Oh my gosh, I would love that. And she goes, I'm not gonna say that you wrote it on Sunday morning because um at that point, uh I I was uh I was a guy that had a reputation that some people didn't like. Um and I'm not even gonna get into that, but some people would quit listening as soon as they found out it was from me. Um because whatever. That's just the way it was. She said, is it okay with you if I don't give you credit for it? And I was like, that's a fantastic idea. I, you know, I think it'd be cool for it to be read. So um, I'm going to share that, uh, the audio from that with you. Um, and and this, this really just summarizes uh, where my heart was and what I was feeling um, at the time. And it was just, she did such a good job with it. So, um, so, so here's that piece.
1: Jesus is king. We read the story in Mark where Jesus and the boys are in the middle of a wild storm on the Sea of Galilee, and the guys are 100% completely certain that they are going to die. The winds are raging. The waves are coming over the bow. Lightning is cracking all around them, and Jesus is snoozing in a hammock downstairs. The guys decide that their only hope is to wake the boss, and when they finally get up the nerve to do it, Jesus seems annoyed at their hysteria. He calms the storms with a few simple words and goes back to snoring. Here's the takeaway. Sometimes when we think we're about to die, the king is sleeping like a baby. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just that he doesn't see that there's that much to worry about. In other words, my reality, as scary as it can be sometimes, isn't necessarily the truest version of reality. It's just my perception of reality. And my perception of reality is clouded by all manner of irrational fears and concerns and just plain nonsense. And because of those clouds screwing up my understanding, I am left with only one option. I can't trust my own understanding. What I can trust, however, is the king. And if the king is snoozing through the storm, it must not be worth worrying about. Or at the very least, the end I think I see on the horizon is no end at all. It's just an illusion. The end comes when the king declares it and not a moment sooner. Yes, my reality and my heart matter to the king deeply and he does end up calling peace down from the heavens just like always, but maybe the best response isn't to freak out and panic, but to look around and recognize Hey, if Jesus isn't worried about this, maybe I shouldn't be either. What would Jesus have done if, instead of someone going down to wake him up all in a frenzy, the guys had simply walked downstairs, saw the peaceful face of the sleeping king, and decided to lay down next to him while the storm passed on by over the top? I think he would have woken up, looked around, smiled to himself and thought, "These guys get it." You see, no storm rages forever. They always end. The clouds part, and the sun peeks out, just like always. In the storm, though, it's hard to remember that. But it's true. And when this storm passes, another one will pop up soon after, and we will freak out all over again, on and on and on, until we finally see the truth that the king never left us, and he's not worried about it in the least. The king is single-minded, slowly and surely going about the business of reconciling all of mankind unto himself. The storms Are just a momentary inconvenience. So beloved, don't be distracted. God will stop at nothing in his relentless pursuit of mankind, and he will calm the storms when he's good and ready. The best plan is to lie down next to him, and hope you don't sleep through the miracle itself. Because it is coming, my friends. Jesus is King.
0: So, yeah. What, what a beautiful um, performance of this this little written piece that I did. And, and I'm so thankful for uh, Sarah Beth just doing such a good job with that. Um, and it, But it, as you can hear in the in the audio there um you can hear people clapping and you can hear the band um sort of swelling with the with the words you know and and i just felt like this is the spirit that we need to get behind um and for whatever reason it just didn't seem to fix it like i wanted it to and uh, things just continued to devolve, and that brings us into the fall. In the fall of 2019, starting in September, um, it was kind of uh, the end of the end. Um, if if mid 2018 was the beginning of the end, September of 2019 was the end of the end. Um, thank God. Uh, it was a merciful thing for it to just uh come to a close for me personally. Um and what happened in September um was we started so with our August fall barbecue that kicked off our fall Bible study that we were doing which you know again like me and Barry and some of the other guys on our team were leading and producing all this stuff and making it happen and we were going to start our fall Bible study and I don't know if it was, I feel like it was the day one of the Bible study. It was probably, you know, maybe the first week in September, but we're supposed to start this new study thing. I forget what the thing was going to be that we were studying, but we show up at church um, at uh, 6 a.m. on, I think it was a Wednesday morning for the Bible study. And, you know, I got there at maybe a quarter till six and I was just kind of walking around trying to, um, you know, make sure the lights were on and the, uh, you know, had to print out some things and stuff like that and, and kind of just get everything ready. And, uh, and I was walking around and I was like, my panic attacks had just, um, <laughs> I mean, almost said they, they were coming back, but they really never left. Like even in the midst of these beautiful things, like there was a pause on them when I went to Colorado and Mississippi and some, you know, some days were better than others, but like in, in September it was just back in full force. And it was just clear, like people were leaving the church left and right. And, you know, these meetings with this little small groups of people, like, you know, the rebel Alliance um, were happening and it was just becoming less and less hopeful. And so this Bible study, I show up and I had just been feeling like panic and stress and tension and anxiety, um, you know, every day. And, and, and this this one particular day, I show up at church, and, and it was really hitting hard. And I was supposed to, like, introduce and lead the uh, and kind of open up the Bible study on that day. And uh, as, as guys start to show up, it's, it's right at six o'clock, and the, the place is kind of filling up. And I had kind of found my table of guys that I was going to sit with. And and it was kind of the normal group that I had been in and for the last couple of years for these Bible studies, you know, the same five guys or whatever and at the same table that we always sit at. And, you know, uh, I, I sit, I kind of put my, my, my Bible down and my water bottle down on the table and I'm walking around trying to get the sound equipment turned on. And when I come back to the table, um, one, of the, uh, one of the elders was sitting at our table And it was a guy that, um, I wasn't really friends with. Um, and and he shows up at my table and there had been kind of word going around that some of the elders were kind of like trying to get information about what some of the other people were saying and doing kind of quote behind the scenes or whatever. And so when this guy showed up and sat down at my table, it's possible that he was coming, you know, as a sign of peace with me. It's possible. I didn't stick around to find out. I saw him sitting at my table, and my panic button was just pounding, just bop, 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 like panic, leave, leave, leave. Like I it was just like, get away, get away, exit, exit, parachute. Because it was just I was gonna pass out right there. And 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 I just um I turned and I, I found my friend Jim and I said, Jim, he was kind of on our men's ministry like leadership team with me. And I said, Jim, um I am not feeling good. I gotta go. Can you open this thing up and lead this morning? And he was like, Yeah, are you okay? And I said, Yep, I just need to leave. And he goes, All right, I got it, brother. Just uh, you know, take care of yourself and I'll give you a call later. And I went back out. Side in the car, I sat down in my truck, and um, I seriously, seriously considered um, driving myself to the hospital. Right then, um, it was it was full heavy 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 panic, and uh, but I randomly had a doctor's appointment scheduled for later that day, just like my annual like checkup was scheduled for later that day. And so I was like, all right, if I can just stay calm right now, I'll just go to the doctor this afternoon and I'll talk to him about it then. Um, so that's what I did. I went home and I like laid down. I think my appointment was at like two o'clock or whatever. And you know, at this point, I was thinking like, I'm I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm I'm not going back to that church anymore, man. It was just it was not it was just unhealthy for me, like physically. Um, And and so I go to the doctor at 2 o'clock. I'm sitting in the waiting room, and they call me back. And just to add insult to injury, literally, I'm sitting in the the doctor's office, like sitting on the little table, waiting for him to come in. And like the nurse had come in and done the vitals, and then she left, and the doctor was going to come in, and I get a phone call. And my phone says on the caller ID, Arkansas Department of Finance or whatever it was. And and I answer the phone and literally, again, keep in mind, I'm in the middle of a serious panic attack. And the call comes in and it's a lady from the Arkansas Department of Finance. And she says, Mr. Slayton, I'm calling to let you know that your business is being audited. And I was just like, Jesus, are you kidding me? Um, you know, I think I literally said something to her like, great. Yeah. Now that sounds about right. Um, what the hell does this mean? And she says, well, I'm going to, um, you know, be in touch with you and I'm going to need some paperwork from you and blah, blah, blah. And, um, I'm just calling to let you know that that process is being started. And I said like, okay, am I in, in trouble for something? And she goes, no, it's completely random. You just got the unlucky draw and, um, I've been assigned to audit your business. And so I was like, awesome. This is awesome. And uh so anyway, it's just like it literally like I took that phone call as a way of saying like th- this whole year I had been just kind of asking God like what do I do? Show me what to do. Show me what to do. Tell me what to do. Give me a sign. Sh- give me the path to walk. And and that phone call was to me God saying to me just get out. Just get out. You just need to get out. You need to be done. And uh so that's that's the way that I understood it. And it turned out that, um, that morning when I went into the church to go to the Bible study would be the last time I would step foot at, in the building at Fellowship North. It was, um, it was, it was bittersweet. Actually, it wasn't sweet at all. It was just bitter. But, uh, in a sense, I was, uh, I was glad to have come to a conclusion, you know, on, on, the whole thing. And I, I told my wife, um, later that day, I said, babe, I, I think I'm done. I think I'm done there. I don't, I can't go back. I can't go back. Um, I think our time there is done. Um, and, and I told her, I said, I look, I, I'm not telling you what to do, but I think I'm going to have to be done there. Um, it's just too, too much for me. And, uh, it, it's not going to go the way that I want it to go. You know, and, and I don't want to stand in the way of what they want to do, um, but whatever they're going to do going forward, it's not going to be with me. <sighs> and that was just devastating. It was just totally devastating to come to that conclusion. Um, but at the same time, it it felt good to just have a conclusion, to have a decision made, Um, you know, so so that was that. And sadly, um, though, the, uh, that did not relieve all the pressure. Um, you know, I, I, it, things continued to increase. And in fact, two days later, um, I had my massive panic attack number two. And, uh, and this was essentially like, I'm calling it a three-day-long panic attack. Because it started on that um, Wednesday, and I think it was that like Friday or Saturday that that it culminated. And what happened was my family and I were hanging out here at the house, sitting on the couch Um, one evening. We were watching Captain Marvel um, together as a family. Me me and my son had been going through all the Marvel movies, and uh, and we were watching Captain Marvel. And I was laying there on the couch, and again, I had been in this three-day-long panic attack. And it was just crushing me. And I'm laying on the couch, and I'm just trying to be calm. Literally, I, I was relaxed, right? I'd been laying on the couch for an hour. We had eaten dinner. I was, you know, I wasn't hungry. I wasn't tired. And the panic was still kind of there, in a, in a small sort of dose. And then all of a sudden, boom! Um, my heart rate went through the freaking roof. And I have the Apple Watch like data to prove it. My resting heart rate is generally around 71, 72. And I looked at my watch. My heart rate jumped from 72 up to 193 beats per minute. Like that. Out of nowhere. And... and, This one is hard to talk about because... um, Whereas I thought I was going to die in um, April in the car with Whitley. um, I was certain that I was dying um in September with this one and and my heart rate just screamed through the roof and all of a sudden I went from completely calm to unbelievably high heart rate um sweating nausea dizziness pain in my arms pain in my chest and and I I I was having a heart attack um and I got up my daughter Rosie was laying on on me laying with me on the couch and I said oh I gotta get up and I tried to stay calm and I and I literally went in the other room so that I could die and have a heart attack without my family seeing me and um I I went in there to die (laughs) I mean I did um Call it dramatic but it was man it was and i went in the other room and i i told micaiah um she she came in there to check on me because she knew what was going on with me and i said um i said it's, it's i said this is it we need to go to the hospital we need to go to the hospital this is this is the big one um, and i was i was just seconds away from collapsing and so she went in the other room and oh i hate that i did this to my family but you got to walk the path that's set out before you, right? And, uh, Makai said, okay, guys, we're going to stop the movie. We're going to get in the car real quick. Everybody go, go, go. You don't need shoes. Get in the car. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And, and I walk out there and I'm literally like clutching my heart. Um, we get in the car and we, we drive to the ER and, uh, the kids are saying, mom, is dad okay? And she's saying, Well, he's, um, we're not sure, he's probably okay, but um, you know, we just need to go, we need to go to the doctor and just check him out. So we're driving to the ER and um, Makai calls Andrew again and she says, hey, um, I'm taking Jacob to the ER. This might be really bad. Um, Can you come meet me there and pick up my kids so that I can stay with Jacob? And he says, absolutely. So we get to the ER and we walk in and now i had been to the ER a few times in my life at this point. This was maybe my third or fourth time. And uh, every single time that I've been to the ER prior to this, um, you know, you, you check in, there's like a bored person at the desk and they're like, okay, have a seat. We'll get to you eventually. And you sit there in the waiting room and you wait for a long time this time I went in and I told him what was going on with me and they rushed me back, um, to triage. They did all my, I mean, they were, I had three doctors or three nurses on me at once, checking, checking, checking all the, you know, vitals and <sighs> they checked me out and, uh, and, and they rushed me back to a room and I was like, holy shit, this, this one is, is the, is for real. Um, they take chest scans and head scans and, and, and all these things and I literally I could barely walk. I'm still like hyperventilating. Um, and I'm freaking out and eventually they, they end up just putting me in the bed and the doctor, um, you know, after they'd done all the tests, the doctor shows up and he says, Hey buddy, how you doing? And, um, you know what, like for me, just that, um, that expression of care, that I got from the doctor just like, just like released everything, um, for me, um, it it wasn't like over, but I just felt like I was in good hands, um, and that was just a feeling that I just hadn't had for a while, and to to have the doctor show up and he kind of put his hand on my leg and he said, hey, buddy, listen, he goes, look at this screen right here, this says your heart rate is down to a more reasonable level, this says your blood pressure is okay. He goes, look at me. You did not have a heart attack. You are perfectly healthy. You're not overweight. You're active. You're young. You're okay. And I was just like, oh, thank God. Like, it was one of these times when, like, I couldn't even hardly open my eyes to the world. I just wanted to, like, be in a dark cave, man. And uh, Micaiah's sitting there next to me, and she's holding my hand, and and, uh, you know, I'm telling her, like, gosh, I'm sorry that you have to do this. And she's like, you know, she, this is a lady that rises to the occasion. <laughs> Anytime she's needed, she rises to the occasion. And, um, and that, was just, that was just it for me, you know. Like, if two days prior I decided I wasn't going back to the church anymore, on this day I was just like, we are fully done. And it, it was just, it just felt so good to just drop all of these bags that I had been carrying, man. Uh, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're carrying around some freaking baggage, man, just set it down. Do what you got to do to set it down. Um, it's nothing but a burden on you. It's nothing but a burden on you. And uh, and guess what? You are not responsible for other people in the world that make stupid decisions, Okay. You can't save anything. You'll never resurrect anything. You will never um, raise anything up. Only God can do that kind of work. And you're out there and you dig the trenches and you put in the hard work. But at the end of the day, God does what God does. And it's not on you. Okay? So just, that's my message to you and anybody out there that has been through a a terrible situation. Okay, look, sometimes things are your fault. (laughs) Um, but most of the time when it comes to this type of a situation where you're just involved in a bigger thing, it's okay to just say, I'm done. I'm done. Um, and even when it is your fault, you can still just be done. Um, you say what you need to say to people, but just move on, get, get through it, get over it. There's something on the other side that's good. And like I always say, you got to walk the path that's laid out before you. And one thing that I've learned lately is that um, the way to go through your life is not in resistance to things, but just being open to it and saying, hey, God, come and wash through me whatever you'll wash through me, and I'll just be standing here and hopefully, um, you know, uh, none of it kills me until I'm old enough for it to be like an appropriate time to kill me. <laughs> right. That's just kind of where I was at, you know. And so that was just um that was just the end for me of of so many things. It was it was my way to um you know just kind of step away um, and just say like I'm just going to be on the sidelines for a little while, you know. Later on that year, um, we still had a Men of the Ozarks trip scheduled for October, and I was still excited about doing that because that's kind of the spot where I shine, and that's where I feel like God had told me, like, "Look, this is what I want you to do and focus on. Let everything else just kind of go as it goes. You do this and take care of this thing, and I will take care of the other things." So we had our. Uh, a, a minute of the Ozarks trip for October 2019. And it turned out to be our last one, um, it, it, which is the, I mean, last one for now. There will probably be some in the future here, but um, prior to this, we had been doing like two to three to four a year for 10 years. It was this beautiful, vibrant thing that I think gave the church a lot of its um, sort of roots and uh, and heart in sort of the last, that that previous 10 years. So knowing that this was maybe going to be the last one for a while was was pretty sad but I was also really excited about it because I had some good friends going and uh it was just a beautiful amazing thing and I remember just walking around the camp up at Castle Bluff just just kind of walking through the the gravel and the and the the grass and the trees and the you know the buildings and just kind of um reflecting on all the beautiful amazing moments that had happened there over the years um, and that is what I take with me when I think back about fellowship North and my time there um, those are the things that stick with me um, the beautiful moments the the, the memories the magic um, that was there and and uh, and, and not I'm, I'm leaving all the Dirt and the dust in the background man and I'm, I'm looking only at the green grass <laughs> that's just the way I'm gonna do it but being up there at castle Bluff and just sort of being in the spaces up there and remembering those moments and just having these um, these beautiful like um, just uh, sacred moments up there where I felt like the king just like skyrocketed out of the sky and smashed into us so many times up there in the best possible ways it's just just beautiful. And, um, it, it was just such an amazing thing to, to go through that with, with, um, just some, some really, really good friends, uh, new and old. Um, it just, it just felt like, it, it felt like God was saying to me, look, one thing may be different and kind of breaking, but, and this thing may be the last one for a while, but I am still the same that I always am. I am good. And uh, yeah, people can be kind of shitty, but I'm still good. You know, that was kind of my takeaway from that. And at some point in the fall of that year, um, another thing was happening where um, a, a large group of people, maybe not large, medium-sized group of people that had all kind of stepped away from Fellowship North we um, were kind of just asking ourselves like, well, what are we going to do for church now? and uh it just so happened that we decided um through the genius of my friend scott he's because we, he we used to do these camp church things when we would go camping we would have like sunday morning camp church because scott's the chaplain in the army and we just kind of gather around on sunday morning around the campfire and drink our coffee and scott would do a little you know kind of a sunday school style message for the kids and stuff and we might sing a song and do a 15 minute little little camp church and you know say a prayer and you know it was like oh that this is nice like i like this and uh so scott was like well we can just do camp church we can just do that type of thing and so at some point in that fall we had our first meeting of camp church um at uh, burns park in a pavilion here in north little rock and and we just told people like hey we're kind of doing our camp church thing Uh, we're not camping you don't have to be a camper But whatever, we're calling it Camp Church for now. And if you want to come and hang out, we would love to have you, right? And the first meeting of uh, Camp Church was really cool, man. We had a lot of people show up. And, you know, it was entirely people that had had left our previous church. And it was just, like, really um, heartwarming to see, like, okay, maybe a new thing is happening here. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, who would have expected that God had another thing in store for us? You know, sometimes we get so... um, sort of tunnel vision on uh, what's going on right in front of us. We forget that uh, God's moving chess pieces all over the place, man. We don't even know about it. And uh, so Camp Church was really amazing. And that thing kind of blossomed and formed into something new. And and, uh, it got a new name. And we started calling it Refuge. You know, because at this point, you know, you can imagine the people that were showing up were just, um, like, battle wounded. I mean, it just looked like um, like the hospital tent in the civil war, like people were just come in, just like beaten up. And so we were like, man, we just need a refuge. We need a place that you can go and be, and feel safe and experience, you know, the love of God and, um, and the beauty of his church and, and feel good there. And we're not going to make it controversial in any way. It's just a place to come and and worship and talk about God and, and, um, and, and, you know, care for one another. So that started to like build, and it was like getting exciting, and but at the same time, like we were all still crushed and beaten from from the church mess, you know, the, the drama and the split that had taken place, and and we started a meeting at this place called the Innovation Hub, uh, which is kind of just this cool space, you know, in our town that that was available to us through one of the people that was coming to church with us at, at uh, what we what we started calling Refuge, and. And we would meet there on Sunday mornings, and I was back on the greeting team there. And it was just kind of this cool, um, you know, um, pieced together sort of mess. And we had these great musicians that were coming and different people speaking. And there was just, um, there was kind of different people there every week. And and then, you know, later on in the fall, and in, in the kind of early winter of the year, we started doing this thing called Beer and hymns. And we would go out to the Innovation Hub, and they would have beer and wine, and uh and and you you you'd get a beer or wine and we would sing hymns you know and it was just like this beautiful freaking thing man it was just freedom and beauty and um you know we we had these super talented musicians um this good friend of mine named Hannah that just just like understands um what the crowd needs at the moment man and she can um she just can weave a beautiful um tapestry up there from the front, and so people would just come in, just kind of beat, and, uh, and just kind of be ministered to, I guess, and I just remember so many times just sitting up there in the kind of upper, um, upper rows of the seating area, and just had my head in my hands, you know, and there was a lot of tears there, and there was a lot of crying, and there was a lot of just breathing, you know, and, um, and just kind of, uh, just sitting and trying to kind of heal, you know, and, and you just kind of, everybody got a big hug, you know, and everybody got a warm handshake, and it was like, I'm glad you're here, man. You know, you are welcome here, and it just felt so, so good, um, but at the same time, you know, we, we felt like orphans, you know. We felt like uh, refugees, really, um, and so the, the name of the church was fitting, Refuge, and then as the winter kind of moved on, we did a uh, we started meeting at this, um, at this little bar. <laughs> Gosh, oh, I'm just now realizing that um, the community that I met at Spectators <laughs> um, that night, 10 years prior, uh, that welcomed me with open arms, where I discovered that um, I went to a bar and it happened to be my church. It was that same group of people that all experienced the exodus together, and we all ended up at a different bar <laughs> for church on Sunday mornings. It was a place called Flyway brewery and uh and we would meet there, and people would hang around after church and drink beer and eat lunch together and uh and it was that same spirit you know, and gosh, I'm just now understanding the full circle nature of it all. Um, the love that I experienced going into that bar 10 years prior with the same people, the same heart that became the heart of one church ended up becoming the heart of another church. And, uh, and we would meet there at Flyway and, uh, and it was the same vibe. It was the same thing. And it wasn't, about the building. It was about the people, you know, and I'm just kind of recognizing all that. Um, and we had this, um, one of the last things we did at, uh, in the year was we had a, uh, like a Christmas carols night at Flyway. And it was, you know, maybe a couple of days before Christmas Eve. And uh, I remember going down there with Micaiah and they had, the, they had fire pits out there and they had tents, you know, that, that were kind of warm and, They had a a great little ragtag band of people playing music and it was just a celebration man it was just a celebration of being together and still making it and being alive and being friends and even through the midst of all the pain and trouble and just mess that like we're still kicking man you know we're still freaking kicking man and it was like just so good to see everybody um in that in that place and to see people happy again seemed like it had been so long since I had seen my people happy again, you know? And, and I just felt like God was saying to me through all these people, it still works. Nothing ever stops. My spirit is nonstop. And if you'll just tap into it and just stay on the train with me, we're gonna do some really cool things. Yeah, there's gonna be some troubles and there's gonna be some struggles, but there's gonna be some miracles too and some amazing, amazing things if you'll just stick with me just stick with me and it was just like yes I'm in I'm in count me in man all the mess all the shit this is still better than any other way of doing life I can figure out and I, and I just loved it and, and and that was that was the way the year ended that was the way the year ended. You thank God, 2019 was never going to return. We we tore those calendar pages off and we shredded and burned them, man. And we were we were looking at 2020, <laughs> and uh, we we had uh, we had a lot of hope for a new year of life and and a, a new year of a new church and uh, and a new year of, of sort of making all things new, like God always does. And then. Um, let me hear a word of a virus spreading, and you know what happens next. Um, man, thank you guys for sticking with me through this episode. Whew, it was a whirlwind um, for me, and um, I hope it was meaningful to you. And, uh, and I just want to reiterate, um, to anybody listening to this that may um, feel any one way or another about what I'm saying Just know that I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I have nothing but love for you and everybody that was involved in any of these stories, on any side of these stories. I got nothing but love. I'm over it. Thank God. And uh, my prayer for you is that um, you would be over it too. And we would all be looking towards the horizon for new things to come because that's what God does. And, um... Even though 2020 turned out to be another shitstorm, um, God does beautiful things in the midst of the madness. So um, come back next week for, um, for that episode. And there's only going to be two more after this one, 2020 and 2021. And then we are going to wrap up this whole podcast of Mind entire Life. Thanks for listening, guys. Come back next week um, and uh, take care of yourself, man. Take care of yourself. Peace.